Today I'll be preaching from the book of Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, and I'll be reading verse 1 down to verse number 11. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for that thou judgest, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them that do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation against the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey, obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the privilege we have to hear from you. We thank you for your love, your kindness, and your mercy towards us. Wait for your mercies, we would be consumed. Wait not for your mercies, we would be consumed. And so we thank you, dear Lord, for how you deal with us, not after our own iniquities, but in spite of who we are, you love us. Lord, I pray today that as your word goes forth, that you would use it to challenge each and every heart. Pray that you would draw some lost soul to you and that the heart of every believer would be challenged to take a closer walk. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words you love me to say, cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with your precious Holy Spirit, that I may preach what thus said the Lord. And when it's all said and done, we'll be careful to give you all the honor, glory, and praise that's do your holy name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. There is a, a law in physics called... Newton's third law. And this law states that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So if an object A acts as a force on object B, then object B will exert an opposite yet equal force on object A. And I can imagine some of you are pastors saying, Pastor, translate, that sounds like a foreign language. I don't know what you just said. But let me illustrate <laughs> by way of a simple example. All right, let's say this hymnal is object A. And I rest this hymnal on the pulpit. What Newton's third law is saying is that this 
him know because it has weight. When I rest it here, it is exerting a force on the pulpit and this force is going in a downward direction. Now, as we notice and observe, the hymnal is staying in one place, which means that since it is exerting a force downwards, whether you believe it or not, or whether you notice it or not, the pulpit is exerting an equal and opposite force upward such that this hymnal cannot move because both forces balance out. Does it make sense? So you're now all amazing physics students. Give yourself a round of applause. We say that the upward force responds to the downward force. And even the laws within nature shows that actions generate responses. You and I, we expect responses to our actions. This is not only evident in nature as we've seen here today in the laws of physics, but when we love, we want to be loved in return. When we speak, we want there to be response to our communication. You see, my friend, response is natural to human existence. It's also important to understand that this principle of action and response is also evident in spiritual warfare. We've been discussing this matter of a war that is raging. This war is one not fought with physical weaponry, but it's a war that's spiritual in nature. It's a war where there's a battle between right and wrong, good and evil. And by now we understand very clearly that this war was initiated, it was started by Satan himself. And it has resulted in the presence of evil. But make no mistake, my friend, that just as Satan acted, God himself has a response to his actions. God's response is influenced by his attributes by his nature, by his character. And we've examined a number of them. They're not exhaustive by any way of God's characteristics of his nature, but we've picked out a few of them as they will be relevant to our examination of God's response. And these characteristics were and are God's holiness. God's righteousness, his justice, and his love. We observe that his love is manifested through his mercy and his grace. Now I want you to today, once again, as we did last week, to keep these attributes of God at the forefront of your mind as we examine God's response or his action to Satan's 
rebellion. You see, my friend, we observed last week by way of quick review that God, first of all, responds and has responded with righteous anger. And he responds with righteous anger because of the fact that he is a holy God. His righteous anger is always an appropriate response to sin. It is consistent with his nature. It is free of sin and God's righteous anger is justified in every way. Just as we know that God is a God of love, understand that God is also a God of wrath. He's a God of anger. But this anger, my friend, is completely devoid and free of sin. But today as we continue along looking at God's response, I want you to notice another aspect of his response, and that is God requires atonement. God requires atonement. Now the attribute of God that I want you to keep in mind today as we examine this requirement and this action of God as it pertains to atonement is to consider the justice of God. The justice of God. You see my friend, because sin was committed and because of the presence and the existence of sin, understand that because God is a God of justice, a price or a penalty must be paid for sin. God cannot just simply let it go. That would be unjust. Now let's take a closer look as to why this is so. Why it is that God cannot just say, you know what, let's just forget about the sin and all that has been done and just move on. You ever been in a situation and something has bothered you and somebody said, but are you still with that? Just let it go. No. Why is it that God, because of his justice, cannot just let sin go? Now jot this down and notice with me. The establishment of a law. The establishment of a law. Now you and I live in St. Kitts and Nevis and Different people live in different countries. Now, whatever country you might live in, we all are governed by laws. We have what's called a constitution. It's the supreme law of the land. And there are other laws that exist to govern. If there are no laws in any land, in any country, that land, that country is going to devolve into anarchy. There's going to be confusion. Let me give you a simple example of a law here in our country that an individual ought not to drive without a driver's license. Now let me read word for word what the act, the traffic, Act and law says as it pertains to this. It says, and I quote, save as in this section provided, no person 
shall drive a motor vehicle other than a public service vehicle on any road unless he or she is the holder of a driver's valid and unexpired license. And no person shall employ any other person to drive a motor vehicle other than a public service vehicle on any road unless the person so employed is the holder of a chauffeur's license. And if any person acts in contravention of the provisions of this section, he or she commits an offense and shall on summary conviction be liable to a fine not exceeding $400. And on the second or subsequent conviction for a like offense shall be liable in addition to the aforesaid fine to be disqualified from holding or obtaining a driver's license for a period of not less than one month or not more than 12 months. Now, I'm not saying anything negative about our laws. You ever wonder why laws have to say so, much, so many words to explain something simple? You can't drive without a driver's license. Amen? <laughs> But the simple reality is that there is a consequence for breaking the law. There's a fine. There might be a suspension of one's driver's license. Our lawmakers go into the National Assembly, into the House, and the law is passed. In other words, it is established. My friend, just as in a country... There are laws that are established. Understand that the God of the universe has established a law for mankind. I want to draw your attention to Genesis chapter 2, and I'd like you to turn there. Genesis chapter 2. And I want you to see the parallel between the laws of our land, the laws of our countries, and the fact that God himself has established a law for mankind. Now when God created the first man and the first woman and placed them in the Garden of Eden, notice what God said to them and by extension to mankind. He says in verse number 16, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree, of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God is establishing a law. He has made it completely clear, transparent, understood. And he gives along with the law a consequence for breaking the law. Turn over to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 and you'll see another clarification for breaking the law of God as it is established. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 a very familiar passage to most of us. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages or the penalty for the sin is what? Death. So God established a law. Keep that in mind as we think of God's response to sin. Think of this as we 
keep in mind the justice of God, which is a part of his nature, his attribute. So we have the establishment of a law. But notice, secondly, the expectation of the law. The expectation of the law. Now when we have a law that is established in a country, in a nation, understand that we as residents and citizens of the land, we understand the expectation that this law, which is established, applies to everyone. No one is above the law. It applies to the prime minister. It applies to the premier. It applies to the president. It applies to the prisoner. It applies to the rich. It applies to the poor. Why? Because the law governs the residents. There are no clauses in the law that says some people are exempt while others are held to the law. Whether that happens in the future or not does not change the expectation that the law applies to everyone. That, my friend, is a requirement of justice. Justice speaks to what is fair. Justice speaks to what is equitable. Justice speaks to what is right. And so when a law is established, understand that there is a general expectation and understanding that the establishment of the law implies that it is applicable to every single person. Are you with me? Now I want to draw your attention to our text back in Romans chapter 2. And I want you to notice how the Apostle Paul here in writing to the church at Rome emphasizes this expectation. Because you see, there were segments of people, particularly the Jews, who thought that somehow they were so different from the Gentiles, or the Gentiles might have thought that they were so different from the Jews, but Paul wanted to bring them back to an understanding. Listen, this establishment of the law that God himself has has, has ordained from the very beginning, listen, it applies to everybody. Look at the words used in a number of these verses. Look at verse number one. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man. Look at that word after that. Whosoever thou art that judges. Everybody is included. Look at verse number six. Who will render to what? Every man according to his deeds. Look at verse number 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. So my friend, understand very clearly here, just like a law that is established in a land governs every person, the law that God has set up applies to every man, woman, boy, or girl. That is the expectation of the law. Now notice thirdly, the enforcement of the law. 
You have the establishment of the law. You have the expectation of a law. But understand that there is also the enforcement of a law. What is the enforcement? The enforcement is that the law must be practiced. In a country, you have judges. You have law enforcement. You have other officers who are given the expressed responsibility to ensure that the law is enforced. Now, the law, in enforcing the law, does not force you to keep the law, but it simply means, in enforcing the law, that if you break the law, that the consequences are applied. That's the enforcement of the law. And to do so fairly, it must be applicable to every person. God's law was enforced by man's expulsion from the Garden of Eden when the law was broken. Adam and Eve were dismissed. God was enforcing his law. He did not make the choice for them. They made the choice for themselves, but the law governed them and the law required that they be dismissed from the garden. The law was also enforced by the shedding of blood. When Adam and Eve sinned, God himself had a sacrifice. Why? Because blood must be shed. Blood sacrifices, my friend, were an important part of Old Testament law. I want to draw your attention to Hebrews chapter 9, a very significant passage, and we read this during our scripture reading because of the significance of this passage as it relates to understanding that the God of the universe in response to sin requires atonement. Now look at these verses in verse number 16 of chapter 9 of Hebrews. The Bible says, where there, for where a testament is, there is, must also be of necessity the death of a testator. For a testament or a law is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without what? Blood. For when Moses had spoken to every precept, to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled blood, sprinkled rather both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God had joined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission understand that when it comes to enforcing the law the shedding of blood was a requirement that's a part of enforcing God's law now I want us to see very clearly here that God, in responding to man's sin, in responding to the rebellion of 
Satan, first of all. And Satan's influence on Adam and Eve and tempting them to sin and to plunge the entire human race into sin that God requires atonement. In other words, there had to be the shedding of blood. There had to be a response to be able to appease the wrath of God. Remember we examined the fact that God, first of all, responded with righteous anger. But thank God, it does not end there. That God now requires atonement in order for his wrath to be appeased. Why? Because of the establishment of a law. Because of the expectation of the law. Because of the enforcement of the law. Now, you say, fine, God requires atonement. What impact does that have on my life? Why is that important to me? Why is that important to you? Well, I'm so glad that God himself did not just decide to stay angry. God did not just decide that, hey, I need atonement. I need somebody to, to, to pay for what has been done. My friend, the God who is righteously angry, the God who requires atonement is the same God who determined, I am going to redeem the alienated. Here it is, that because of our own sin, we were alienated from God. God, because of his love and because of his mercy, say, I'm going to implement a plan to restore them back to me. My friend, that is because of the love, the grace, and the mercy of God. Amen. Let the church say amen. You see how God's attributes influence his response. Now look in the same Hebrews chapter 9. These are some passages that ought to excite every believer. That God, because of his love, because of his mercy, would determine that I'm going to come to this earth in human flesh uh, uh, using his, his, his son, his son, the second person of the Godhead to sacrifice his life. Remember, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so this God of the universe would send his only begotten son to provide the atonement and to go to a rugged cross to offer not the blood of bulls and goats, but his own precious blood to redeem lost mankind. What love. What mercy. What grace. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 6. And notice how God is showing the parallel between what took place in the Old Testament under the law which were a shadow or a picture of things to come. Verse number 6 says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood. Blood is very important, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Why he was making atonement. The Holy Ghost thus 
signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. What the writer here is simply saying, that this symbol of, of bulls and goats was, was a sign of things to come. It could not make uh, the, 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 the person upon whom the sin was being, uh, being committed you couldn't make them perfect. It says it was a, it was a shadow. It was, it was looking forward to something that would be more excellent. It was foreshadowing. But look at verse number 11. But Christ being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this building in other words not of human flesh neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. My friend, this sacrifice was so perfect. This sacrifice was beyond anything that could ever be given with blood of bulls and goats that when Jesus offered his blood, he only had to do it once for all. End of story. Look at verse number 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sacrifice sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. My friend, this is why we are to be excited about what Jesus did. My friend, we are so much more privileged than those who had to go in time after time after time to do the same thing over and over but we are free because Jesus died and his blood was offered on the mercy seat and once and for all we are forgiven and free and God because of his love and mercy not only required atonement because of his justice. But he redeemed the alienated. Wow. Amazing. This is like being in a courtroom. And the same individual 
who is the judge. The same individual who is the one who is requiring justice is the same person who is offering the solution to allow the condemned to go free. Justice is satisfied. Holiness is satisfied. Righteousness is satisfied. And love is satisfied. My friend, this is why we say God is a great God. You know, oftentimes when we say God is great, you know what we're thinking about? Boy, I just got a promotion last week. Man, I just got a new car. I just got a new spouse. I mean, I just got a new this. And I'm the, uh, well, a new spouse. I, I think I need to say, I just got a, the person just got a spouse, right? We don't deal with too many new spouses unless the old spouse is dead. But that's a whole nother message. Let me stay on track. We're going to satisfy God's justice, his love, his righteousness, his holiness. What a great God we serve. He did all that for you and for me. Let the church say Amen. My friend, when we think about what God has done by way of redemption, we ought to give a spring in our step, a joy in our heart, irrespective of what's happening around us. Because if he did nothing else, he did more than enough and more than we deserve. The action of God. That's the response of God. And the response of God as it relates to our redemption is what totally changed the direction and the course of this war. Do you realize that a result of God's action that for any person who has accepted this precious gift and sacrifice That you are on the winning side. That as much as this war would rage. Our destiny is already sealed, signed and delivered. What a great God. And I trust that if you're here today. And you are not born again. You have not embraced this gift of redemption. That you will do so. That God has done all this for you and for me. Blood had to be shed. And thank God that because of the perfect and precious blood of Jesus Christ, his blood was more than adequate to save every man, woman, boy, or girl would place their faith and trust in him. Understand that God's justice had to be satisfied. His righteousness, his holiness. But God, because of his love, was able to respond to save you and to save me. The question is, are you willing to embrace his provision. Failure to do so, my friend, 
will leave you exposed to the wrath of Almighty God. His righteous anger within which there is no sin. There is nothing unfair about God's wrath being poured out on mankind because a law was established. There is an expectation of any law that it applies to every man, woman, boy or girl. And the law must be enforced. But God, because of his love, made a way, made a provision for you and for me to be redeemed. Are you willing to embrace his solution? If you're here today and you're a born-again believer, I trust that God's expression of love would motivate you and motivate me to love him more. We can never love him like he loves us. But we ought to be motivated each and every day to let him know how much we love him in our words, in our actions, in our attitudes. He deserves nothing less. Thank God for his response of redeeming the alienated. Understanding that he had to require atonement. But he offered himself for you and for me.